Hey everyone, welcome back to the Eternity Archives. Before we get started with the episode, we have a couple of very important announcements and updates for you. So give them a listen, and then stick around for Pathfinder. Thanks for listening! The Eternity Archives is a small hobbyist production. We don't employ writers or actors, and none of us do this for a living. Unfortunately, the same cannot be said of all of your favorite media. Across the entertainment industry, writers and actors are on strike for fair treatment and better working conditions. While the Attorney Archives does not fall under the category of struck work, we do stand in solidarity with the professional creative minds fighting the good fight. In our show notes, you'll see some links to the relevant strike funds. Please consider making a donation to help those who are out of work and struggling during the duration of the strike. Thanks so much. Hi everyone! You may have noticed the episode drops have been a little slow lately. Don't worry, the Eternity Archives isn't going anywhere, but we do have to make some changes. First, here's the good news. We're expecting two junior archivists by the end of the year. The bad news is that managing two pregnancies, soon to be two whole babies, is a lot to do on top of our normal playing and editing. We're going to be slowing down a bit, officially changing to a monthly release schedule so that we don't have to sacrifice the quality of our work. Thanks for sticking with us, listeners. We'll make sure it's worth the wait. There There is a library library that exists exists at the Nexus Nexus where all other universes collide. Inevitably, things wind up there by mistake. Books, artifacts, people. This is the place where things from all universes end up when they get lost. This is the Eternity Archives. Welcome to the Eternity Archives. We're starting a new chapter today. Uh, and if this is your first time tuning in, we are an actual play TTRPG podcast where we play archivists holding the fabric of reality together by doing some dimension hopping. And today we're jumping into a dimension I'm extremely excited about, which we will get to. But before that, let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. Hi, everyone. I'm Ziva. My pronouns are she, her, and I play Linda, the human office lady. Hi, everyone. I am Dorka. My pronouns are she, her, and I play Zen, the barbarian lizard princess. And my name is Bappy. My pronouns are they, them, and I play Rode Drakel, who is a little, a little scamp tiefling, just a little rascal. And today we also have a very special guest joining us from one of our network sibling shows. Special guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you so much. Hi, everyone. I'm Esther. I use she and she pronouns, and I'm going to be the guest anchor slash system fan today. I will also be piloting in some moments an archivist named Valani, who is a spider person from the world of Galarian. Excellent. And uh, Esther, where, where can we find you? Where are you when you're not on the Eternity Archives? I am usually hanging out on Twitter at Dungeon Minister. I also GM the Pathfinder 2e actual play called Chromythica, which you can find at Chromythica everywhere on social media and at Chromythica.com. And recently, a new gig is that I am co-host of a Pathfinder 2e news reviews and interviews show called No Direction. And you can find that at No Direction wherever you get your podcasts and uh, No Direction everywhere on social media. Fabulous. And by now, everyone should have uh, guessed what game we're playing today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to be playing Pathfinder 2E, and not just are we playing it, we're going to be playing it uh, in some some very good hands, since Esther um, is is our, our one of our, our network experts on Pathfinder 2E. But before we get into that too much, let's go ahead and uh, set the tone and get to know each other with a little icebreaker question. Okay. So the icebreaker question I thought it would be fun to consider today is if you could make a low stakes fun wish that were guaranteed to come true, what would you wish for? Low stakes in that it won't change the world, but it will change a noticeable aspect of your life. I feel like since I asked the question, it's fair if I start us off. I decided that I would wish for tea on demand. 
like the precise kind of tea that I wanted could just appear in front of me, like ready to go, ready to be put in a teapot. And that would be amazing. Oh my gosh. That was like, okay, so I had two that I was thinking of and like trying to decide between. And one of them was like, I could just have lifetime free milk tea whenever I wanted. (laughs) And the other one was, I, whenever I roll in a gotcha game, I would always pull the character that I want. <laughs> that's that's a good wish, honestly. Yeah. I think mine would be, I was also going to say that I could have a, a bacon, egg, and cheese bagel anytime I wanted, that like the breakfast fairy would just put it in my hand. But I'm going to go with something a little bit different, which is that I... I would wish for the ability to pet any animal without harming myself or the animal. So like I could like go to the zoo and see a tiger and be like, I want to pet that tiger and I could pet that tiger and it would be totally fine. And I would be totally fine. That would be the dream, honestly. That's an excellent wish. Yeah, it's just very funny to imagine that you're like, I'm going to jump into this pen to pet this tiger. And everyone's like, holy shit, what's that woman doing? And then you just go in and pet the tiger and it's like totally fine. But it's like you still get arrested because you did jump the pen <laughs> no, into I, the pen. I think that counts as harm to me. So I'm, I'm nice try, Ray Bradbury. Oh, OK, OK. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm on a similar vibe as the rest of y'all today in that like. I would just want to be able to eat whatever I wanted whenever I wanted to. I'm a Taurus. I I don't know anything about astrology except that like being a Taurus means that I love food and sleeping. And those (laughs) things are true. So, oh, fuck. You know what else I would want? I would want the ability to be able to fall asleep in moving vehicles. Because most people can do that and I cannot. And it has been a constant trial throughout my life such a good wish not while i'm driving though (laughs) i wish i could give you some of my ability to fall asleep in a moving vehicle because my ability is i too often fall asleep in moving vehicles including when i'm driving so (laughs) you you sit down in a car and immediately fall asleep pretty close yeah (laughs) i have definitely like been sitting in like standstill traffic and I've definitely like closed my eyes and just kind of like eased up slowly every few seconds and oh been God, totally no. fine. <laughs> Listeners don't do this. <laughs> yeah, please don't do that. It was I just very tired and but that's not that's still not an excuse. That's it's very dangerous. <laughs> Unlike petting a tiger if you're Ziva. I feel like that's the beauty of the wish. The tiger will be safe and it'll be safe car sleeping. True. Yeah, very true. There you go. True. Because the tiger will be driving the car. Yeah. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> yeah, this isn't like a monkey's paw situation. This is a, a no risk wish. Yeah. It's like the opposite of a monkey's paw, where um, instead of, oh, something bad happens, it's like actually you get an additional good thing. I love that. I want that. Um, <laughs> what's the opposite of a monkey? Uh, a rabbit's foot. Yeah, I want, yeah, yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I was like, it's something foot. If only there was a kind of foot you could make a wish on. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, th- with that brain blank out of the way, let's go ahead and uh, talk a little bit about Pathfinder itself. So what's everyone's experience with Pathfinder before we get too much into the rules? Because I know we're sort of like all over the place. I have played Pathfinder once ever, which was on a Pride crossover with some some friends in the Tabletop Sphere a couple years ago at this point. Oh, yeah. You can find it in our archives. Yes, you can. You can find it in our archives. We played basketball and Linda turned into the angel of friendship. It was pretty great. But (laughs) that is my only experience with Pathfinder. So I'm really excited to get into it today. Was that Tui? You know, honestly, I have no idea. The GM in that one made the character sheets for us, which was really helpful since I didn't have a lot of Pathfinder. Well, I had no Pathfinder experience, but unfortunately, that means I didn't really like get deep into it. So usually I make the joke that I am the audience surrogate, but I feel like at this point, like most people probably at least know a little bit about Pathfinder, but I know nothing about Pathfinder. So in this arc, I'm going to be like even less of an audience surrogate and people can at me if I say or do something dumb. I probably won't see it, but that's fine. So my experience with Pathfinder so far has been making the character and that's pretty much it. (laughs) My experience with Pathfinder has been up until this point, 
I have avoided Pathfinder as hard as I can. There were a couple like in-person games like years ago where like we got a group together and the DM was like, we're going to play Pathfinder. And then we like never got past character creation. But my whole experience with that was generally like, this is D&D, but more when I would really prefer like D&D, but less. So like we've talked about it on this podcast, even like we weren't sure we were ever really going to get around to Pathfinder. But uh, I've heard really interesting things about TUI. And it also turns out that right after we decided to play Pathfinder on the podcast, I got brought into a second edition homebrew game with a whole bunch of friends. And that's like, you know, just a, a table game. And I'm not sure I'm a true believer on Pathfinder yet, but the game itself, the campaign itself has been a really good time. So I am glad to be coming into this with like a little bit of experience, at least, because this is a crunchy game. So would you say that you've been path avoiding? I have. (laughs) (laughs) The path found me. (laughs) The the path was the friends we found along the way. (laughs) (laughs) The true path was the friends we made along the way. Yeah. I love the range of experience we're bringing to this game today. It's funny being referred to as a Pathfinder expert because I feel like I've sort of like stumbled my way into that. And I feel like there are so many people who have played more Pathfinder than me who know more of the rules by heart for both systems. But a little of my history is that I started playing D&D 3.5 in high school essentially like got away from that in college. And then a few years ago, a friend of mine was like, do you want to like play a TTRPG together? And he was playing Pathfinder 1E at the time and was like, this is what I know. It's similar to 3.5. And why don't we try it? So I did. 1E, I had some great times in that system but it was so crunchy for my brain that it was really difficult for me to learn. So by the time 2E came around a few years ago, I was like reluctant to learn a different Pathfinder system because I'd put in so much time trying to make sense of the first one. And basically in character creation, I fell in love with the system and haven't really looked back. That's not to say there aren't things that I think can be improved or that it needs to be a system for everybody, but I've had a lot of fun. Played a couple campaigns in it, GMing a campaign right now. And yeah, that's my experience with Pathfinder. Awesome. So uh, I think that sort of gets our all of our intros and sort of background info out of the way. So uh, Esther, do you want to lead us through sort of what, what we in the audience can expect for the Pathfinder mechanics? Take us down that path. (laughs) We're going to make that joke so So, many times. I've been trying to hold it back like like every sentence and just trying not to interrupt (laughs) people. And it's so hard. (laughs) I love it. So in no direction, their like catchphrase to sign off the show was, if you want to find the path, you need no direction. And I was like, I'm not saying that. (laughs) I'm not saying that every episode. Like, be blessed. But we're going to have to find something new. And now I'm like, the jokes just write themselves. It's it's so much fun. Because it's two simple words. It's path and find. And it's just like, you could do so much with that. (laughs) You can. An endless fount of material. (laughs) So yeah, I think, I think, was it Dorka who said that Pathfinder can feel like D&D, but more. And I think coming into these mechanics, especially if you haven't played 2E before, it can sort of feel like that. Pathfinder actually grew out of the debates around whether D&D 3.5 or 4E was the better system and came very much out of the 3.5 world. And so the first system had just a ton of similarity to D&D 3.5, like skills, the math, the way things worked. The second system has been reworked considerably. I would say two of the main things to notice coming in are the proficiency system. 
So essentially, the math is set up really precisely so that every time you level, your proficiency modifier will level with you. And you will be able to do a lot like with your skills, with your attacks, with your perception, DC, like all of those things. The system is really built to level you up very precisely. Like a plus one in this system makes a huge difference. Whereas in Pathfinder 1E, there was like a bunch of complicated math you would have to do at character creation to make sure that the numbers would work if you were going to play a long-term campaign. In this system, you can pretty much go in and be assured that whatever you do with your character build, the designers have made sure the numbers are going to work long-term and your character will be able to do things, which... I really love. Another big thing that people tend to notice is the three action economy, which means that like in combat especially, you get three actions on your turn and you can do basically anything you want with them. There's a whole list of actions one can take in the game based on the skills you are trained in. But you can make three attacks if you want. You can make one attack and move and then cast a spell if you have that ability. Um, it tends to make the flow of combat run a little differently. And for me, it's also just a really easy thing to remember. Like, I have three actions, I do whatever I want with those actions, and then my turn is done. There's also different kinds of actions that will come into play, like uh, reactions, free actions, which mean you don't like usually have to use something up. Um, and we'll see if we get into those today. Um, I feel like I rambled a bit just now. Anything on like those two points that you all have noticed creating characters or the couple times you've played in the system? Yeah, I've noticed that in Pathfinder, it things are just so much more clearly defined. Like in D&D, &D, it's like, for instance, like I'm looking at my character sheet and performance takes an action. And I don't feel like that's something that's clearly defined in D&D. &D. Maybe in like rules as written, it is. But I feel like something like that would be like up to the GM's discretion if you're playing D&D &D and you're like in a combat and you're like, I'm gonna do a performance to like throw off an enemy or whatever. Your DM could either be like, that can just be a free action. Or they could be like, oh yeah, that is going to take your entire action. And I think it's very interesting that Pathfinder does that because it may come off as more intimidating because there's so many more little nuanced things you have to remember. But at the same time, it's more clearly defined for you. So it's like, you don't have to figure it out if it's like, well, what are the rules for this? Like, I just have to make it up on my own. It's here are the rules. This is what you're supposed to do. And there's like maybe less like debate on how to resolve that, which I don't know. Maybe it's because I listen to a lot. So NADPOD has a segment called D&D Court where like people like write in with like disputes they have while playing D&D. &D. And so it just seems like there's a lot of disputes <laughs> to me on like how you can do certain things in D&D. &D, whereas with these like very specific rules in Pathfinder, you would get rid of a lot of that friction but i don't know so a dnd &D refresher real quick the dnd &D action economy is basically you have movement you have your action and you have a bonus action and that action is pretty much always going to be attacking or casting a spell and like Bappy said, there's not a lot of mechanical framework in place for like using that action to perform or uh, something other than that. And movement is really kind of like a catch-all for like moving, running, jumping. So what I have noticed in Pathfinder is that like a lot of the more advanced actions, like significant spells, first aid, stuff like that, they cost two actions. So that's important is that like you get three actions per turn, but some things take up more than one of those actions. And I found that generally it tends to be the same flow where you're using one action for movement, one action for an attack, and then like one bonus action in D&D terms to do like something else, like prepare a reaction or ready an item. Or it'll just be using one action to move and two actions to do a spell. So the combat flow in general for me has been very similar, but there are a lot more options. And I think this is good and bad because like in Dungeons and Dragons, you're much more limited in your options. 
But the downside to having a lot more freedom in Pathfinder is there is a long list of combat actions here. And you are spoiled for choice. And I find that sometimes that's like, oh my god, what is the optimal move here? I find that I'm like thinking two or three turns in advance. Like, I have to set this up now so that I can like pull this off later. So I think there's some good and some bad there. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. And I appreciate the flexibility of the multiple actions, especially because I, I agree with Bappy that I feel like D&D, honestly, even rules is written. Sometimes you have a hard time being like, does this count? Is this a full action? Is this? And it's like everything is like very clearly notated that you have these like little icons on everything that are used like throughout. So you don't have to wonder. You can just glance at the listing real quick. And it's like instantly, you know how many actions it takes. You know, whether it's a reaction, whether it's an action, whether it's a free action, what have you. But I, I can see how that would be potentially a little overwhelming and require a lot of strategic thinking. So I'm really curious to get in here and see what it's actually going to feel like. Um, because when when I was playing before, it was very like loose and fun. The goal was to basically just to just to have a good time as opposed to like play rules as written or, you know, closer to rules as written. And so I'm really I'm really just curious to see how it feels in action. I think that you've all pointed out like such good things to notice. I re- I'm a person who really enjoys the flexibility of the system of Pathfinder. And I also at times feel overwhelmed by it. So I totally get if it's like there's just such a cornucopia of choices that it's like, which one do I take? If you're someone who likes to be a bit more constrained or feels more supported by like a narrower set of options, Pathfinder 2E at least might be a little much for you. But if you're someone who really, really wants to like make a character that is tailored in a particular way or you can just like do almost anything you want, it's a great system for trying that in my experience. I also think something that's important to note, mechanics-wise, build-wise, is that your characters tend to be defined by the feats you pick. So there's ancestry feats in this game, class feats, and skill feats. A friend of mine likes to describe it as your class feats are really what makes your build like function. They let you tailor the class the way you want to play it, uh, develop specialties, and that kind of stuff. The skill feats are like bells and whistles. They let you do fun things, often in really like rather specific situations in the game. And ancestry feats just tend to add like cool flavor to your character. Those things wind up being really fun and you get to pick them throughout the progression of the game from level 1 to level 20. Some people really like to build out characters like way in advance and shouting out Path Builder, which I think folks used at the beginning of the episode. A lot of people love that for like making characters. And some people just like to make it up as they go along. Both ways are great and awesome. And it just comes down to how you feel best supported playing. So I'm curious, like, did y'all notice any of that? We built characters at level nine. And I'm curious, like, what that experience was like coming into the system kind of fresh. I thought it was very fun, honestly. Um, big shout out to Path Builder. If you pick up Pathfinder on like the Humble Bundle, um, I know a lot of folks did and I was one of those folks. The book itself has, has no PDF links, which boo hiss, I'm not a huge fan of. So it was a little overwhelming going through the book for anything more than the initial build. Um, starting at level one, not too bad. Um, trying to figure out how to level up a little overwhelming. So big shout out to Path Builder, huge fan. Um, it made it super easy and fun. But also, there's a lot of just like neat stuff in here. Like I was like scrolling through like, ooh, that's cool. Ooh, I like how that works. Ooh, class feats. I'm not even sure if this is quite the right word, but it felt a little more freeform than D&D. Like the feats were so different, even within the same class, that I felt like I had a lot of choices. And keep in mind, the last D&D we played on the show was the Wheel of Time 3.5 or 3.0, which is not like a great representative of like the breadth of modern D&D, right? But I had a really fun time. I just felt like there was like a lot of really interesting stuff that fit for both the character I wanted to build and Linda as a like fully fleshed out personality. Yeah, it was good and bad. It was like overwhelming in, a, in like I said, a good and bad way because there are so many options and stuff like that. But it was just like because there are so many options, 
It was a lot to take in. And then some of them are just like the flavor of the feats to me were just like, why do I need like a feat for that? Like, why can't I just do that? Like, <laughs> there's one, I think, ability I took or feat I took that was like, I can use my tail to do stuff. And I'm just like, why do I need a feat for that? Like, why can't I just use my tail to do stuff? Or there's like a feat where you're really good at tasting things or something like that. And I'm just like, that's so specific. <laughs> but like at the same time, because there are these very specific feats, it makes it more concrete, the kind of vision that you want to have for your character. It's not as like nebulous as, you know, D&D, for instance, which is more like broad strokes. So yeah. Pathfinder has a rule for everything. For some people, that's a really good thing. And for some people, it's not so much a good thing. But yeah, going through the feats and like, but we started at level nine today. So we're doing like, we're not doing the beginner level play that we usually do. And when I first started in my other Pathfinder game, making a level one character was like, really difficult for me because I was just given this list of feats. And I'm just like, do I have to worry now about like what they'll fit into later? There's just a lot of options here, a lot of choices. Um, and then like going through like level one through level nine, making that whole character at once. Honestly, by the time I got to level nine, I was kind of just like picking stuff that I thought looked cool. So we'll <laughs> see like whether yeah. it works together or not. And like, especially when it was time to pick those skill feats, like Esther said, those tend to be very like specific scenarios. So a lot of times I was looking through the skill feats, like I have to pick one of these, but I'm not sure like any of these like really make sense for me or like when I'm ever going to use these. So I really liked the class feats and the ancestry feats. I love the ancestry feats. But like the skill feats, I often felt like I wish I could take a different kind of feat instead of this. In that one instance, I felt like I maybe didn't have enough options. Or like they mostly felt too specific for me. I, I don't know if that's just me though, so. I don't think that's just you. I actually often have the same experience with skill feats when I'm building a character. I think they're cool and... I can probably count on one hand the number of times I've actually used one of my skill feats in a situation in play. And some people might say that's like my style of play, but it's just, it's what's happened in the games I've been a part of. I think you're so right about there being a rule for everything in this game. And some people really love that. For me, I'm, I will admit a little bit of a chaos gremlin and that I'm like, well, there's rules, but if the situation calls for it, it's okay to forget about that and just play the game the way we want to play the game. I'm going to try to like bring a, a good meld today so folks will get an idea of what the system is like, but also have a little bit of flexibility. And that brings me to something I, I did want to get to before we actually got into play, which is there's the first rule of Pathfinder that you can find in like the core rule book. It's in a little special text box, says that it's your game and you get to play it how you want to play it, the way that works for your table. And if changing rules works, like please do that. I've been fortunate enough to become mutuals with some of the people who make Pathfinder on Twitter. And I can say that like, they really, really mean that. So for anybody who's listening and is like wanting to play Pathfinder or is playing and, and finds that like you want to tweak something, just know that the people who make the game like really want you to make this game your own. And that's been super encouraging to me as somebody who tends to do that. And I just think that's really cool. Yeah, I love that. I'm a huge fan of, of homebrew and of rules tweaking. If you've ever listened to uh, me GM a D&D &D on the show, you know that that's sort of like the school I come from of like, take the rules you like and just get rid of the rest of them when there's a ton of rules. And so I'm, I'm a big fan of that. I'm not a big fan of it when people say, why would I play, you know, Lancer when I can just mod D&D &D to have robots? Like, no, get that attitude out of here. They're different. <laughs> they're different games. They're not the same. But I love going, I don't like this rule. It's making our play too slow. Let's just get rid of it. Or I really like this rule. Um, let's make sure we always include that when we're playing. I won't forget that one. Yeah, like the Pathfinder game I'm currently playing is there are several custom rules, partly because like it's a very homebrew world and also has like downtime elements of like 
city building and stuff like that. It's it's very involved and does stray rather heavily from Pathfinder in some places. So this will be like much more traditional Pathfinder for me. Awesome. Well, the one more thing that I think I would be remiss if I didn't get to before we get into play is that like Two days ago, it was announced there are going to be some pretty big changes coming to the core rules of Pathfinder. Due to the fact that Pathfinder was initially published under the OGL, of which there has been some recent kerfuffle around that, Paizo, the company that makes Pathfinder, is moving the system like fully away from being entangled with the, the OGL. And so there's going to be some big changes coming, like they are going to do away with ability scores and alignment and some other big stuff like that that will impact the system in in kind of big ways. I don't have a ton of information on what those changes are going to look like in practice yet because they've they've just been announced. But I am really, really excited to kind of see how the system continues to evolve in that way. And just know that if you're going to jump into Pathfinder within the next like year or two, there will be uh, changes in that way. And they've made it really clear you can play the game however you want. So if you want to keep using ability scores and alignment and stuff, that will be totally cool too. I always forget alignment exists. <laughs> <laughs> realizing now I definitely did not like set an alignment for Zen today. I, yeah, I never use it. I hope that's not important. <laughs> it's not. I don't either. <laughs> okay. I I like it for the slapdash concept of like NPCs when you're trying to like think of like what rules does this person operate under really quickly. Um, but I hate it for player characters because like people are morally complex I like memes with it, I guess, but that's kind of it, honestly. Like, I don't think, I don't think it's essential. And in my mind, it feels like one of those old school concepts that we've just kind of hung on to because people like saying things are chaotic neutral. And I'm like, I'm like ready for it to go. Like, I'm not one of those people who's like precious about old school stuff all the time. There's some stuff I really love that I would be sad if we got rid of. But yeah, I don't, I don't think we really need alignment. And I'm like, I'm fine getting rid of alignment and ability scores and changing the way that we talk about characters and changing the way we talk about the way that they interact with the world. I wish I had something like smarter to say about ability scores and why I don't love them. Um, as a player, I find them a little bit nitty gritty. And as a disabled person, I have mixed feelings about using the word ability to discuss like a game, especially a game that's not like, you know, built to discuss disability themes. But that's kind of like the I can't like scrape all my thoughts together about it. Um, other than like, hooray, I look forward to something a little more flexible in the future, hopefully. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to get rid of abilities. Like, are they getting rid of, like, the idea, like, strength, dex, or are they, like, mechanically, like, they're getting rid of the numbers? Or is that just something they haven't touched on yet? So I might be speaking out of turn here because they did do a video Q&A that I didn't get to totally watch. My understanding is there will be some numbers involved, like the proficiencies are going to stay, but, like, the core, like, six ability scores will go away. So I'm oh. I'm still a little unclear on like exactly how that's going to work, but I think it'll be a blend of like the two. So like numbers will still matter but in a slightly different way. That's interesting. I look forward to see what they're going to do with that. Yeah. Cuz yeah, ability scores is just like kind of I don't know. They feel antiquated, you know, just like Zeebo was saying, how to describe a person's ability with these very broad terms that aren't like the idea of like intelligence being a score is just like very silly to me because it's just like I want to play a wizard who's dumb as fuck. Is that wrong? Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I uh yeah, I intelligence in particular drives me crazy. Like I understand strength more or less because like, oh, there are characters who it, it makes sense for them to be stronger than others, but like it also makes sense to me that like you could measure that by like how much training they've had. But like, yeah, like intelligence doesn't need to be in there. Intelligence is like my my pet peeve of d20 ability scores and i'm also honestly all of the d20s have really stuck to D&D in a lot of ways and so hearing that one of the big d20s is going to be really changing in a in a major way is like really interesting to me i'm really excited to see how that sort of trickles out into the tabletop sphere and i'm excited to see also 
not to like completely go on a tangent. I'm excited to see how that may also play into 13th Age 2E, which is um, being written right now, I think. What? That's so exciting. (laughs) So on the topic of like how a lot of things have like stuck to original D&D or like evolved from that, I do want to like briefly go over Ancestry. Like Pathfinder doesn't have like races in like the same sense as Dungeons and Dragons does. It has like Ancestry, which is a little more like broad, I would say. Like you're not necessarily saying like i am specifically like a human and all humans are the same ancestry feels to me more like a cultural background than like a blood lineage one which i think is really interesting especially in light of like i heard some recent controversy over like updates to D where like they're getting rid of like half races and some people are you know really upset about that some people are not upset about that But, like, looking through the Pathfinder rulebook, like, they don't really have half races either. They have, like, you can take, like, two different ancestries instead. They have heritages. Yeah. 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 So, like, so this is something I ran into because there isn't a tiefling race or tiefling ancestry. There is heritage, which is, so, like, my base is a human or I could probably pick any other ancestry and then I would just pick my heritage as tiefling so i think there are like half orcs or half elves maybe that i I, at one point i was yeah okay cool because i was looking at pathfinder 1e stuff by accident and then i don't know like which of that carried over i think it's an interesting way to approach it i will just say i personally this is like literally just me a personally thing i don't like seeing my ancestry as human that bothers me for real i would just rather it be like tiefling but that's just because it's weird to be like Rails a human but also a tiefling and I'm just I don't know to me that's just weird for for me personally and that's just like my own very specific nitpicky thing and not like anything against the system itself (laughs) hey I totally understand that (laughs) it's it's easy for me to be like whatever because you know Linda's a human and when I play her in a d20 I always play her as a halfling because I just love them very much as someone who um if I could be transported to a fantasy world I would love to be a halfling please sign me up But I liked the mix of ancestry and heritage just because like in Halfling, there's lots of different types and that manifests itself in different ways, which I really like because even, you know, in the real world, like someone who's human has subsets and then you have like American and like American has lots of subsets, right? Like, like it's not just like, oh, all Americans are like this or all humans are like this or like you know, obviously there's racial implications for that as well. Um, So I like this better that like it breaks down in lots of different levels. You can take multiple ancestries, you can take multiple heritages, you really have the option of making a much more complex character than just like, I'm an orc, orc strong, but stupid. And all orcs are that way, um, which is orcs get brought up a lot in D&D, especially because the way they're written is gross. But I also really like that you have the option of taking multiple ancestry and heritage bonuses and you have choices between which ones you take. And you also have the option of either taking ancestry limits. So like for halflings, it's minus strength because they're they're physically small, um, but you can also just discard that. So if it feels yucky to you, you can just not do that, which I think is awesome that they're like straight up in the mechanics. Like if you don't think there should be ancestral penalties, don't use them. That's an option you have right from the start. And I think that's really great. I think that like ability scores, we should keep in mind ancestral and racial and heritage bonuses and penalties when we're thinking about how we're describing fantasy races and fantasy people. But I I think Pathfinder so far of like the 3D20s we've played is the one that I feel like the most good about. (laughs) I feel like there's a lot less like real world racial stereotyping and that it lets you portray the real complexity of what ancestry and heritage reflects in the real world. Yeah, we want to play strong halflings and dumb wizards. Yeah, let us do it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. And there's some interesting news on that front that came out pretty recently. They're actually standardizing just having free boosts for all heritages and doing away completely with bonuses and um, like drawbacks. And I'm really excited about that. For me personally, like as a disabled person and thinking about like racial implications, 
I do get uncomfortable with like inherent racial bonuses and penalties. I think it can get a little eugenicist pretty quickly. And so I'm excited that Pathfinder has basically said pretty recently, um, we're just doing away with that. And you can have, I think, three free boot, two or three free boosts to whatever you want. Just feels good to me. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I guess Pathfinder's already put out like some guidelines for this because in my other game, when we're doing our like racial ability scores, it's you get two free boosts. And if you choose to, you can take two penalties to whatever you want to get a third boost. So like That's you can neat. still choose to have like drawbacks. They're just not tied to your heritage or ancestry and i think giving people the opportunity to have drawbacks i'm always in support of that yeah i got no problem with drawbacks i think they make really interesting characters it's just nice when they're not like like you're an orc and you're stupid or you're a halfling and you're not strong because like yeah i would love to play like a super ripped halfling who can like lift anybody that'd be amazing let me do that Heck yes. <laughs> the halfling lifter. Love it. <laughs> the return of buff Christmas Linda. Oh my god. <laughs> Who's a halfling? <laughs> That'd be amazing. Yeah, I just I just like um I look forward to us like as a tabletop sphere moving towards ancestry and heritage more like background where it gives you flavor and special things about your character but it feels a lot less essentialist like it doesn't make up the core of who your character is it's a piece of information that informs the character um because i think that that's more realistic and i think it's more interesting beautifully put yeah yeah i was gonna ask if if any of y'all had anything to add but that was basically my um my intro pitch to pathfinder so uh, yeah, I think that really nicely wraps up uh, about Pathfinder, but let's go ahead and talk some more specifics and intro um, the choices that we've made for our characters. We'll just go ahead and give a brief overview since we are level nine. If we went through all of our feats and, and uh, spells and items, we would be here all day, but let's go ahead and do some quick overviews. So I, of course, am playing Linda as a halfling. Like I said, she is a hillock halfling, which is like a like a classic hobbit. Like they're really friendly. They like food and music. Um, social stuff really matters to them. And uh, her background is a barkeep, which just feels right for a very social hobbit. Sorry, I shouldn't say hobbit. That's copyrighted. So that just feels right for a very social halfling. And of course, um, we're being sued. I know. Don't don't <laughs> at me. Amazon's going to find us, you guys. We need to stop saying copyrighted things that they own now. <laughs> and also, I'm playing Linda as a bard. Um, I played her as a bard in D&D, and I just think bards are, are really fun, and they make a lot of sense since they're very charisma-driven. Um, so yeah, so Linda is a bard, and one of the things you do in Pathfinder for bards is you select a muse, which informs basically some of the feats and spells that you could take. So Linda's muse is the polymath, which basically means that she's a little bit good at lots of different things, which completely works, I think, um, in my mind for who she is as a character. I'm just really excited. There's lots of wild spells and items in here. Her weapons are a rapier, a corset knife, and a sling. And um, I'm not going to go through all of her gear, but I have a couple things I'm really excited about. She has an armored cloak, um, which is just very showy and fun. She has a virtuoso musical instrument, so she's got a real fancy, beautiful mandolin. And uh, this is very important. Two things that are very important. One is she has a bottomless stein, which I'm imagining is just like an infinite margarita shaker. <laughs> And a bag of cats, which just lets her pull cats out of a bag, which I'm extremely excited about. I'm going to find a way to pull those cats out of that bag. Please do. Please do. <laughs> I'm so excited for this. <laughs> so yeah, there's the brief overview of Linda. Yeah, so for real, they are obviously a tiefling. This time I picked rogue for them, and they are an eldritch trickster rogue with a uh, sorcerer dedication. I was stuck between trying to do Sorcerer again, or actually even like Spellshot Gunslinger, but I figured like a big part of Rails thing is like, they're young, they're still trying to figure out what they want to do, so I thought I'd just pick a completely different class as they explore themselves. So basically they're just like a magic rogue, like I have an ability where instead of like stabbing, I can cast a spell and then I could apply my sneak attack damage to it, which I thought was like really fucking cool because I can shoot like lasers out of my hand and then like surprise you. I don't know. I just thought it was neat. 
uh, I basically just tricked them out to be very stealthy and thieve, thieve, thievey, thieving. I don't know. They're gonna be good at sneaking and they're gonna be good at stealing stuff. They have a weapon that is called a gloom blade, which I think like has something special when it's like nighttime or if it's dark or something like that. And they have a piece of armor called a blade burny and you can like pull a chain link off of it or something and like use it as a knife. Sick. So that'll be cool. I uh, told Bappy in the Discord chat when they said they had picked Blade Burnie that I literally just said on No Direction when we reviewed the very recent book that that item um, was published in, I can't wait to see somebody playing a rogue use this armor. So I'm just like thrilled that you chose that. Yay. Yeah. I am super excited, and I, I think I mentioned this in in our chat, but I think the blade burning chain links, I think they end up doing more damage than my actual weapon, but I'm not sure. Um, so that'll be interesting. Maybe instead of using my weapon, I'm just going to keep pulling links off my armor and just stabbing people with my armor. <laughs> so Zen is a extremely Zen character today. I'm playing a barbarian with the dragon instinct which basically means she gets a breath weapon, which is cool. Typical barbarian stuff, like she gets to rage, but the draconic rage lets her like use her breath weapon type as like a bonus damage type. And most of my other stuff is basically revolving around like intimidating people on the battlefield, charging them. I have an oversized throw feat, which is like the... Gorn fighting Captain Kirk, and that's exactly why I picked it. I took the lizard folk heritage, and the specifically the frilled lizard folk, which is like the Jurassic Park Dilophosaurus, which gives her like intimidation bonuses, and also using her body as a weapon with like a tail whip and claw attacks. But she's also using a pretty cool trident weapon today, and I am pretty excited to play with this. Barbarian is like much more simple than like a spellcaster, which is why I picked it. I have trouble with spellcasters in like any games just because they tend to be like so much. But uh, I feel like I have enough feats here that it's not just going to be like every turn is just an attack. And I think that is a big plus to the system. I'm so excited for this build and this breath weapon. So I think that leaves me, and I did not do a full-on character build for my archivist, but I did decide that she is going to be from the canonical world that Pathfinder takes place in, which is a planet called Galarian. She is a person of Anadi heritage, which means she's a spider person who has both a spider form and can take humanoid shape, basically any kind of humanoid that she would like to be, but she chooses one and it's like that one forever is my understanding and she looks like a red-backed jumping spider in spider form which is a spider with like a black um forebody and a beautiful red abdomen one that i saw in my home the other day and that is the inspiration and her name is valani and i'm excited to have her meet and interact with all of your characters and jumping spiders are like super cute and like, right? Like, aren't those like, I that think like a so. thing about jumping spiders? <laughs> They're like super friendly and have like a funny little face. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm making stuff up. I, I feel like I've seen people gush about jumping spiders on Reddit, but. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a huge spider person. And even I think jumping spiders are kind of cute. They've got, they've got like baby eyes and they're always really fuzzy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the one I saw was very fuzzy and very cute. We support spiders on this podcast. Yay. <laughs> Whether they're one or a hundred in a trench coat, you're welcome here on the Eternity oh Archives. <laughs> Fantastic. Yay. So I think then it's time to go ahead and uh, jump into the library, see what everyone's been up to, and go ahead and start playing. Are y'all ready? Yeah. Yes. I am ready. All right, let's go. So on the last mission, all of us went to the very wholesome world of Wanderhome and had a chance to sort of like reset as a team. 
Linda, Zen, and Rill got the opportunity to finally talk about some of the things they'd been feeling, regather their strength, regroup, and come back refreshed and renewed. But before we get to their story, there's a different archivist that we have to talk about first. So Esther, tell us a little bit about Vellani. How long have they been with the library? How are they settling in? What does their sort of like average day look like for them? So I imagine Vellani has been in the library for maybe a couple of years now. So is kind of familiar with the flow of things, with weird anomalies and going on missions, and then if stuff goes awry in the library, some of that happening. I kind of imagine Vellani as having a bit of a close tie to their homeworld of Galarian. They, in fact, I think got to the library through an artifact from their world, which just looks like a a rather nondescript leather-bound book with a few loose pages within its own leaves, and that they were pulled through this book into the library, and since then have made themselves relatively at home, getting to know folks, but really like Miss Galarian, and so if something funky is going on there, they They are trying to like get the gossip on that or be tuned into that just to like know what's going on at home and see if they can like direct anything, any extra like juice uh, toward a mission to like help out their homeworld. Fabulous. I love that they're hands on. They're ready to go. Definitely. Does Vellani come to Linda's book club? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Wonderful. I picture Vellani's culture like on Galarian being really immersed in lore and stories being like important and, and learning in general. So absolutely comes to Linda's book club. Fabulous. Love to hear that. Uh, Linda especially loves to hear that. So what is Vellani doing on, on this day? Just an average day in the library. I think Lani seeks out information like he wakes up probably has some like intergalactic tea or whatever says hi to her friends associates colleagues and then like just kind of goes on instinct to whatever section of the library she feels drawn to that particular day and starts like listening, looking for like random bits of information because you never know what's going to be useful to you on a mission or when something weird happens. So just kind of like a a lore gatherer. And that's, that's probably what she's doing. Like just kind of hunting for some random trivia. Is she in spider form in the library or is she in her humanoid form? I think she does both. I think she likes to get a sense for who is maybe a little bit more alarmed by seeing a a large spider skittering around and who is cool with it. So if she's in an area and around folks who are generally like chill with spiders, she's in her spider form. But if she knows she's going to like freak someone out, she will change into her humanoid form. That's very considerate of her. She is like the ideal library personality. Oh, yay. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Well, like, you know, she's in this place where she can get any story from like anywhere and drink intergalactic tea. So yeah, as as far as landing somewhere unexpected, um, maybe forever, she did pretty well for herself. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, as we already know, uh, Vellani's doing some some lore gathering uh, during their uh, average day in the library. But what is everyone else doing? How's everyone feeling post-Wander Home? Linda, uh, just to start, is feeling much better. She's feeling much more grounded. She's reminded that she might not have the answer to everything, but she does have a lot of people who care about her, and she has a lot of ability to be present and helpful in their lives. And so she's feeling a lot more reset. She's back to to baking. She's still trying to learn what she can about the multiverse. She's still trying to learn physics and some other things that maybe can help her understand better if she can go places at will and if she can communicate. But she's back to having a more balanced life and not just obsessing and letting it sort of take over and not allow just her her normal social activities that bring her a lot of joy. Yeah, I think Zen is making a lot more of an effort to be more social. We all had like a really good community bonding moment in Wanderhome and she really took that to heart and is 
not keeping to herself as much, definitely like tagging along with group activities more and more often, uh, arranging game nights. The other side to this is that she is letting her research and like her investigations kind of slip by the wayside a little more. Like the downside to like feeling more comfortable with her friends and like feeling more satisfied here is that like her original goal of like finding a way home to do some more good there is not as important when she is comfortable. So, you know, there are some upsides and there are some downsides. She's just trying to live her life day by day and enjoy herself and not think about her obligations. Yeah, I think Rill is, you know, in a similar mindset as the other two. They are maybe trying to embrace their library duties a bit more and also just like, I guess like the others just kind of not necessarily be more social but i guess they like it they do try to be a little bit more social but they're on like a self-improvement plan to like be better for their future assignments and whatnot so what are you all doing when you feel the tug in the back of your mind of the journal going off i think this time it's in the middle of a book club meeting Ooh, i love that So Linda's book club choice this time, in the interest of still trying to understand things about physics and multiverse, she's reading, um, my god, what's the name of the really famous Stephen Hawking book? A Brief History of Time? Yes, thank you. So Linda's book club choice this time, in the interest of, um, of trying to learn more about the multiverse's A Brief History of Time. Sounds pretty dense. (laughs) (laughs) It both is and isn't. It's, it's a, it's a very interesting little book. But they're doing a book club. Linda's sitting in a big comfy chair. Um, She's managed to find enough big comfy chairs for everyone. There's a a pile of baked goods on a coffee table in the middle. And uh, everyone's just discussing what they've learned with various levels of comfort, I would say. Zen typically comes to book club to hang out. She hasn't usually read the book. Sometimes she puts in a little more effort, but like usually she's flipped through it real quick and lets other people like actually discuss and she's just there to like hang out and eat baked goods. I love that. A fair use of book club, honestly. (laughs) Rill, how are you doing with uh, a semi-dense physics book? I think Rill, honestly, they're a lot smarter than I am. So I like to say that they parse it. What that means and how that looks, I'm not entirely sure because I can't really fathom (laughs) this book itself, but they're doing a lot better than I am. (laughs) I think uh, whatever discussion is happening, they're super into it. And Valani, how, uh, how is she feeling? I think Valani has learned a lot in a short amount of time about how like different worlds work and so is really interested in this. I think Valani comes to book club half for like interest in the knowledge of whatever book is being read and half to pick up like little tidbits that other people will drop in discussion, like just random facts about their home or uh, a relationship within the library or a mission they went on. So it's just juicy all around. So I think she's like, if she's in spider form, probably taking up um, and spilling over the sides of a big comfy chair, just really focused in on everything that's being said, listening intently. That's such a fun image. Zen, as we've established, has no problems with spiders. She just thinks she thinks snakes are weird, but spiders are okay. <laughs> it's like me, but with no limbs. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Linda's just kind of drinking it all in. She has she has sometimes chosen book club books that she just thinks are neat and wants to talk about. And sometimes, like this time, she's very strategic about choosing ones because everyone in the library has different knowledge. And so she's like, someone here knows way more about this than I do or has read something that I just didn't pick up on. And so she's like absorbing everyone's thoughts and she keeps going, ooh, fascinating and like jotting down some quick notes and that's such a good point. I didn't think about that. Uh, She's having a great time. Uh, And so she's actually a little bit sad when she feels the the journal go off. She doesn't sort of want to stop book club, but unfortunately duty calls. And so she says, oh, hold on. Sorry. Hold that thought. Give me just a second. Uh, She pulls her journal out and flips through and says, 
oh dear, I'm sorry, everyone. We're going to have to wrap today. Uh, we'll reschedule the, the second half. Um, unfortunately, it looks like uh, I've been called away. Zen's pulling out her journal at the same time. She just kind of nods in agreement like, yep, me too. That's not really surprising. Yeah, Real doesn't even bother pulling out their journal. They're just like, I, uh, yeah, I can feel it. I don't have to look. I think Vilani has like one spidery appendage, reaches into a little like pouch that she wears around her body and pulls out her journal, which maybe um, it looks like this leather bound book with like various pages kind of sticking out. It's so cute. It's a it's a spider with a knapsack. So is Milani's <laughs> journal the same artifact that brought them here in the first place? I like to imagine that it is. Yeah, if that's Ooh, cool. I yeah. love that. I think that's great. We love making up lore on the spot, especially if it's really <laughs> cool lore. <laughs> so, uh, so when they flip open their journals, uh, what do they see? What what's their mission? So I think you see. In this instance, a picture of a snowy scene, like it's just a white at first, glaring white, and then you sort of zoom out a little bit and see a town shimmering. Like there's something a little bit odd about this town. You get the instinctual feeling, but you don't know what. And then I think these images are replaced by the text, Krasnoprudni in Galarian. And Volani will really perk up at that and say, Oh my, it looks like there's some trouble back home. Is this like a person's name or is this like uh, the town? You would get the idea it's the name of the town. Oh, so we're going to have an expert with us this time. That's convenient. Linda's delighted. She claps her hands and says, Oh, I'm so excited that we get to have a mission with you. Oh, well, I'm very excited as well. You know, I... I don't think we've ever worked together in this way before, and it'll be fun to get to know one another. Well, let's not waste any time. And Zen hops out of her comfy chair, grabs some baked goods to go, and is going to start heading towards the book draw. Yeah, Dumpling's just leading um, a discussion with the remnants of the group, of the book club group. Not about this book, but, you know, Dumpling's just, uh, whoever wants to stay, they're trying to engage with them. Dumpling pulls out some eldritch book that you can't look at for too long. <laughs> Linda's going to grab a few cookies and say, help yourself to the rest. Don't worry, there'll be plenty more next time. And uh, she she gives Dumpling a pat on the head and comes along. Mm-hmm. Real just follows off. They're uh, internally, they feel very psyched about this because this is like their first mission since kind of getting this renewed sense or not even renewed, but just new sense of like motivation and whatnot. Real wants to do things. Yeah, Real has dopamine, I guess. <laughs> it's Millennial amazing dream. to have dopamine. Yeah. <laughs> Some days you just have it. <laughs> Today's a good Some day for do. dopamine. <laughs> so we all uh, get to the book drop, journals in hand, baked goods in mouths are packed away for later. And uh, I think that's when uh, it comes to the question of who's going to be anchoring today. And Linda looks at her journal and says, "Uh, I don't think I'm in charge of this one. Nope, not me. Valani says, I I think it's going to be me. Oh, well, that's perfect. Zen says, I hope you're not too disappointed that you don't get to be there yourself. She sighs in a way that maybe it's surprising a spider can like, audibly sigh that much like well I wish that I could go home but I think it'll happen one of these days it'll be good to to be snooping in from afar and to hear all about it when you get back well you'll be right there with us in spirit yeah I will I will take extensive notes and do you have like a favorite flower or something maybe we can bring back a souvenir hmm they're going to think about that for a moment. And then they'll say, just bring me back a story from wherever it is you go. I got it. Story. Will do. Before you go, since you're going to my home world, is there is there anything you'd like to know before you get there? Usually I would ask whether or not I'm going to be a human. But judging by you, it seems like your world is not so limited. Is everyone like a spider person or do you have like 
What kind of world is it? <laughs> they they laugh. Oh, not everyone is a spider person. There's many, many different kinds of people there. I would say it's what might be described here as a pretty fantastical world. You know, lots of different planes with elemental energies, divine, celestial, infernal energies. The planet is named Galarian, and lots of different people live there. People like Uril, people like Zen, and people like Linda. So I, I think you'll all keep your forms, more or less. Oh, thank God. Most of my people live in a place where I think you aren't likely to go, judging by this image. But yeah, I think you'll keep your bodies. It's good to know. Yeah, that's already uh, a step in the right direction. Sounds sounds fun to me. It sounds very exciting. It's a beautiful place with, with lots of interest, lots of magic. Is it dangerous? Well, certainly in some places. And, you know, one never knows what one's going to run into on a mission. So you, you'd be wise to be prepared for danger, but not necessarily expected everywhere. Yeah, I guess uh, let's let's get going, gang. And Rill would meander off into the book drop and jump right in. Yeah, Linda's gonna come along too. She's uh, she's ready to go. She feels more prepared than usual, and she's excited to go on a mission with her friends. Zen is right behind, waving quickly to Valani on her way out. Valani raises a spidery foreleg and gives a little wave. Good luck! The Eternity Archives is hosted, produced, and edited by Dorka, Bappy, and Siva. Find us on Twitter at, at @thearchivespod or online at theeternityarchives.com. Our intro music is Paint the Sky by Hans Adam, and sound effects are obtained from zapsflat.com. Check out our show notes for more information and some helpful resources. Consider supporting us by telling your friends about us, or leave us a tip at our Ko-fi page, ko-fi.com slash theeternityarchives. Subscribe to our Kofi for all sorts of exclusive bonuses, behind-the-scenes content, and other fun surprises. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Proud member of the Rainbow Roll Network. Rainbow Roll. Our stories, our voices.